9 verses, or sorry, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 to 10. It's coming up on that screen, but not on that screen. So I don't know if my remote remarks either. So you're just going to have to listen to my voice without visual aid today. <laughs> okay. We're going to start at verse 7. Oh, there we go. Uh, we're going to start at verse 7 just to give a little bit of context, and then I'll get right into it. It says, in fact, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually ask you to read along with me. Can everyone stand up and we go to the next slide with the text on it? And I want you to read it out loud. This is the reading of God's Word, starting in verse 7. It says this, In him, follow along with me, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and earth. Amen. You can take a seat. This is the reading of God's word. Those, uh, those uh, verses highlighted in red, those are what we are going to talk about today. And if you're new here and you're following along, we've been going through a series called The Who and the Do. And we're calling you that because we, we are learning that what we accept about is true about who we are determines uh, what exactly we do in life. And so we've been learning a little bit about what Ephesians talks about, about our identity. And in, in particular, it says three things about our identity. It says that we are one in Christ. You can move it to the next slide, I think. Uh, it says that we are one in Christ. The next one. Uh, it says that we are saved by faith. That is in chapter 2. And it says that we are blessed. And not only that, we are blessed beyond the best. And so we've been spending quite a bit of time just kind of soaking in and marinating in our blessings. And I just want to review it. You can hit the next slide for us here. Uh, what we learned that, about what Christ has promised, uh, that he has promised every spiritual blessing. He has offered us forgiveness from our sins and freedom from slavery. He has lavished wisdom upon us. He has made known the mystery of the will, which we will talk about today. We were once dead in our sins, and now we are alive. And there's just so many examples of his grace and power in those lives. By the way, yeah, when we are finished chapter 1 in a couple of weeks, and we will move on from chapter 1. I just got to tie my shoe here. Give me a sec. Okay. We will move on for chapter 1. Okay. We will, I promise. But the goal, that, the way that I know that you've graduated from chapter 1 in the Bible is this, okay? What I am trying to kind of bring out in you is I'm trying to bring out the little Pentecostal in you, okay? And I say that a little bit facetiously, but here's what I'm trying to do. You know, this book, the, the opening chapter of this book is like this praise that Paul has all these amazing things and he's joyful and he's enthusiastic and he's in a place in life where he shouldn't be joyful, enthusiastic, and yet there's this joy in him anyway. And I want you to let you know that some of you, like what I want you to do is, is these messages should be uplifting. You should walk out of here with a little bit of bounce in your step. These are the feel-good sermons, okay? 
So, you know, the preachers, you know, I, um, my job is to talk about the whole Bible, and sometimes I have to talk about sin and, and damnation and all that. And when I do that, you know, everyone feels like weighted down and beat down. But the last few weeks, my intention is that these are, these, these, these are things that you should feel uplifted and encouraged and joyful about because the truth of the matter is, is that I know that some of you walked in here today with circumstances in your life where you shouldn't be feeling joyful, okay? And what I want you to understand is Paul knows what that feels like, and he's reminding himself of everything that he has in Christ, and I want you to feel uplifted, I want you to feel encouraged. You know, the other day, we were driving home from church, and Liz was like, Dan, when you were talking last week, you sounded angry. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not supposed to, I'm not trying to be angry I'm trying to be joyful. I'm trying to let you know that this is something good. This is good news, and you should feel encouraged. Amen? Amen. So I've been going through all the different things that you are blessed with, and today I want to let you know of one more thing that you are blessed with, and that is that you have been blessed with the knowledge of a mystery. You want to hit the next slide for me there. Okay. You are blessed because you have the answer to a great mystery. Not only a mystery, the greatest mystery. Okay? Now you might be scratching your heads and saying, okay, well, how is that a blessing? Well, let me read verses 9 to you, 9 to you again. And this time, I'm going to read it in the NLT just because I think the NLT helps us comprehend exactly what is being said. So if you can hit the next slide. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9 says this, God has revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fill his, fulfill his all good plan. I, uh, I love a good mystery. How many of you like a good mystery? Yeah, hands up? Yeah, awesome. Uh, when I was a uh, youth pastor, I used to play this game with the youth called Who Killed Pastor Dwight? And Pastor Dwight was our worship pastor. And so uh, he, in all good faith, it was a uh, murder mystery progressive dinner. Okay? I'm thinking about trying it here. <laughs> and what it was, it was, it was a formal dinner party we had at the church. And we would mingle together in the foyer. And I would get all the youth to dress up. And so the girls loved it because they get to dress in their grad dresses or whatever. And all the guys hated it because they had to dress up in the suits, right? And we mingled, and it was a good time. And I got all the youth leaders together and all the pastors together in the middle of the... And I, you mingled for like maybe uh, 20 minutes, half an hour. And then I, Pastor Dwight would just fall down dead. And then all the youth leaders would kind of like uh, run away <laughs> to their houses. And so the job of the youth was to go from house to house to house and have a progressive meal and investigate who had done it. It was quite fun, right? And, and uh, <clears throat> lots of, I really like a good murder mystery. If it's a good murder mystery, you're going to have a hard time figuring it out. But once the author or re writer reveals it to us at the end of the book, we should be able to go back through the book and see how it all makes sense. Okay? That's how the word mystery is used in the Bible in this context. 
The Bible is not something that is hard to understand, and a mystery from God isn't. There's two ways you can use the mystery, and one is to say, like, it's just too difficult, I can't figure it out. It's a mystery to me, okay? That's not the way that it's used in the text, okay? A biblical mystery is something we would never arrive at using our own tools of intellect. Let me say that again. A mystery is something that we would never arrive at or at, own, at our own uh, tools of intellect. It was something that would never come up with, we would never come up with unless God himself reveals it to us, and we wouldn't know it. But once God does reveal it to us, we can go back through the entire Bible and see how it all makes sense. Okay, So a mystery... I would say, is a secret known only by God that we would have never guessed unless he revealed it to us. And what is that mystery? Well, I would say today that there is a great, there is a real game of, a real-life version of Clue being played today. There is a mystery that needs to be solved, and just like the game, the longer you and I uh, take to solve it, the more people die. And we are living in a real-life murder mystery. And what is that mystery? You have the next slide for me. The mystery is this, is that we are all wondering what our existence amounts to. Everybody is longing for, a sense, for searching for worth and meaning. There is a great longing uh, in our hearts for mystery and worth and validation. And I've been talking about that, about how the great crisis of, the, of 2022 or the Western culture right now is this, is who am I? What's my worth? What makes human beings special? What makes us uh, unique? What's the worth of a soul? All those kinds of things. That is a mystery, Okay. And here's why it's so important that you and I need to understand that this is something mysterious that has happened. Because you and I live in a culture with evolutionary undertones. And when we are live in a culture where the underpinnings and foundations of our very way of living comes from a theory that says everything is chance... That there, you know what that means is that there is no great meaning and there is no great design. And if there is a great design, it's up to you to figure it out and make it. A fellow pastor shared with me the following during COVID. I, I, I quote, I recently read a series of collected notes from people contemplating suicide. One young woman wrote, I will never be happy. I will never be stable. <clears throat> I am disgusted when I look in the mirror. Another person wrote, There's nothing anymore. I want to be free and alive again. I don't want to wake the next morning thinking that my life will be my job and nothing more. Still another person wrote, I'm 40 years old and nothing in my life has gotten better in decades. Looking into the future, it's clear that I won't find joy and purpose. Isn't that sad? 40 years old. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've lived long enough to wonder if your existence really mounts to anything at all. I mean, you do live in rural Alberta. 
It's not like our people care what our tiny church believes, right? Does our does our meaning do we have any meaning? In the Western world, we have raised an entire generation with the underpinnings of evolutionary biology. Your life, uh, as biology professors proclaim, is a result of meaningless and purposeless chance. If there is to be any meaning, you'll have to invent it for yourself. You've got to solve the mystery yourself. And if you're looking for a grand design, expect none. I used to go to a church that taught a class called Christianity and Contemporary Thought. And the, 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 uh, the, cl- the pastor would bring in a friend from the University of British Columbia who was an evolutionary biologist and a very outspoken atheist. And when asked why he was an atheist, this is what he said to the class. If the world were to explode in a nuclear holocaust tomorrow and life would be extinguished, there would be no one to watch, no one to care, and it wouldn't mean a thing. And you could, from an, evolu- from an atheistic standpoint, you could understand that line of reasoning, can't you? I'm not saying it's true, I'm just saying you can get it, right? Because if the world did blow up today, it's not like the rest of the solar system would care very much. Or the galaxy or the universe. There's a planet orbiting some sort of star light years away from here, and our existence is going to affect it one bit. So you can understand from an evolutionary perspective why there's no meaning. There's a great mystery to where it's all headed, isn't there? What is the meaning and purpose of my life? And just like a good murder mystery, friends, it's something that we would never arrive at with our own intellect. Somebody's got to tell us the secret. You need someone outside to reveal it to you. What kind of person should that be? Well, if you're going to have any sense of purpose and self-esteem and identity at all, the person who should reveal it to you should not be someone who would ever let you down or disillusion you. It, can't, it also can't be a person who's fickle, somebody who's up and down with you depending on how well you perform. My friends, God is the only person who can reveal to you the great mystery of life. And verse 9 tells us that one of the main blessings is that God has revealed to you the mystery. Here's what verse 9 is telling you about. Okay? Verse 9 is telling you that God is not about concealing stuff. He's about revealing stuff. Some people look at Christianity and they say it's too confusing. The theology doesn't make sense. I don't know if I am saved. I don't get it. Verse 9 is trying to tell you that Christianity is about making things known to you, not hiding it from you. God is not a God of confusion. And Paul is saying, hey, God is about revealing stuff to you. He is being known the mystery of his will. Christianity isn't mysterious. And there are some religions out there and some spiritualities out there 
that thrive on the fact that they're kind of vague and weird and mysterious, and sometimes that does seep into Christianity. There are people out there that will try and tell you that your interpretation of the Bible is wrong, and they're going to have to sell you on their book or their conference about their Bible code about how you interpret this part of Scripture. And that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is saying to you, listen, look, I've made it known to you. I've made the mystery known. You don't have to worry. You don't have to spend your life in this existential anxiousness trying to figure out the meaning of life. I'm going to make it known to you. Guys, you don't have to depend on yourselves trying to figure it out. Isn't that good news? Oh, that doesn't sound like you guys are. You guys must be sleeping. <laughs> and here's the here's God has made known to you the mystery of His will. And what is the mystery of the will? His will. Read verse ten. It says this: according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, it is to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and on earth. Okay, listen very carefully. Verse nine and ten. The main point of verse 9 and 10 is to tell you this, that the great mystery of the time is that Jesus brings all things together. Amen? Okay. Jesus brings all things together. He unites all things. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean universalism. Now, some of you might be like, well, what's universalism? Well, universalism is a very old idea in Christianity. It's the idea that because Jesus forgave the sins of the world, everybody's saved. Okay? So they're saved whether they're aware of it or not. They're saved whether they want to be or not. They're saved whether they're a Muslim or an atheist. Everybody's saved, and everyone comes to know Jesus. And it's not only a very old uh, Christian, uh, or I shouldn't say Christian, but it's a, it's a very old teaching in the church, and it's a very popular one right now, particularly in Western culture, because we don't like the idea of hell, right? Hell repulses us. So we can't believe that in Western culture a good God would send people to hell at all. And so what we do is that we come up with the idea of universalism. We want Jesus, but we don't want what he says. You know, here's the crazy thing. Everybody in our culture right now loves Jesus, right? Jesus is my home by the... You know what they don't like? They don't like the church. They don't like Christianity. But their version of Jesus is really weird. It's like this hippie Jesus. He's smoking a joint. He's saying, love is love. But here's the thing. is like when you get to the actual words of Jesus, you don't actually get the idea of hell until you get to Jesus. So if you like Jesus but don't like hell, you have to ask the question, why? And so what Christians will try to do is they will come up with this idea of universalism. Everybody's saved. God forces you to be saved. If you're a Muslim, you are a Christian. If you are an atheist and you have rejected the idea of God, tough luck, I'm forcing you to become a Christian. If you've deconverted from the faith and you said, I've rejected Jesus, tough luck, you're saved anyway. And you know where they put the anchor verse for it? The one I just read. 
that because Jesus unites all things, everything is saved. That's not what it means. Okay? And I'm talking to you about that because it's very popular. A guy named Ron Bell wrote a book a number of years ago who said, that said love wins, and that is exactly what I talk about. It's not universalism. What is it then? It's this. It's that when it says that Jesus Christ unites all things, it means that everything is summed up in Jesus. It means this. It means all history is moving towards a goal. Okay? He is, he is moving history towards a climax, and that climax is Jesus himself. What, Jesus, what Paul is saying is that everything in earth gets united in Jesus. That the idea is everything is summed up, and Jesus brings everything together. Colossians puts it this way, I love it. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, and he is before all things, and in him all things what? Hold together. Jesus is the great super glue of humanity. In Jesus, we are all held together. Jesus is the great unifier of human race. Jesus is going to make everything in the way. Here's, here's what's cool, is that everything gets united in Jesus. And it's not just your salvation. It's all of heaven and earth. It's every bumblebee, every blade of grass, every ocean, Every creature, every whale, every molecule, every grain of sand, all is bound together in Jesus. Jesus brings it all together. And you know what's so cool about that? Is that means that all the suffering that you go through, all the pain, all the why this, it all is being held together and, bring, and, it, and Jesus unites it all under the guise of us knowing Him. Okay, I just told you earlier that one one of the the youth that I had spent eight years ministering to died in a car crash. She's 19 years old. I can guarantee you right now that that family is asking the question, why did that happen? It's so meaningless. And I can tell you that right now, good or bad, whether the suffering, whatever suffering happens in your life, whatever adversity you fail, it all is brings together and it's all heading to somewhere and that something is that everything gets united in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great superglue of humanity. He holds it to guessing. And here's what this, he holds it together. He brings everything together for us. And here's what this does for you and I. It jolts us out of our individual view of salvation that we have. And you know, when you go to church, you hear a lot of this, and, and it is true, and I, and I don't want to bash it, but here's what we hear quite a lot. We hear that Jesus died for your individual sins, and if you accept him as his Lord and Savior, you are saved individually. But then, and that's true, okay? But here's what this text is saying. That's beautiful, that's awesome, but that's not where the story stops. Everything comes under Jesus. The view of Jesus is cosmic. 
And it's a greater view than just yourself and your life. That he is giving you a cause and a meaning greater than you. Every, this, is, this is gigantic. This is going out not only to Three Hills or Alberta or Canada, it's going out to the entire world and the entire universe is going to be bound and glorify Jesus. That is a goal. That's a meaning, isn't it? In your life, you get to be a part of that. And why is it so important? Why is the fact that Jesus holds everything together, that he unites everything, such a blessing? Well, I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one, it brings down cultural divisions. And number two, it gives us hope and encouragement. And remember what I told you about this? This whole thing is about finding joy in the blessings of Jesus in the midst of hardships. So let me talk about the first one a little bit. Is that it brings down cultural divisions. I was uh, watching a video on evangelism. And uh, they were talking about missions. And they were saying that uh, they were quoting a, a secular book on the spread of different religions in the world. And here's what they said. Christianity is the only one that travels and morphs around the entire world. I think I got that clip for you. You want to play it for me? Listen I was, to this. I was reading something recently. They talked about the idea that like, Christianity is one of the only religions in the world that has moved around. And so what it means geographically. Okay. So, so think yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. So it starts in the Middle East among a group and of Jews. And this is long before technology, right? right? Yeah, this is like exactly. thousands of years ago. 2,000 years ago. Yeah. It starts with a group of Jews in the Middle wow. East. And then it moves to Rome, mm -hmm. and it becomes kind of the center of the Roman Empire, right? You got by 300 AD, there's 350 million Christians or something. Like it's crazy how it exploded. And then you've got, it, it stays in the Roman Empire. Then it takes over Europe and it becomes this kind of European thing. Then it gets on a boat and moves to North America. And it becomes the center of Christianity becomes North America, specifically America itself, right? Mm. Now what's happened is it's moved to Latin America. It's moved to uh, Asia and Africa. The face of Christianity today is not white evangelicalism, right? It's not. It's, it's, it's uh, Latin American, it's Asian, and it's African. That's the face of Christianity. It's moved around. Almost every other religion has stayed in its place of origin. So mm. if you look at Hinduism, if you look at Islam, if you look at Buddhism, they're mostly still populated around the countries and geography where they started thousands of years ago, right? Christianity wow. has moved around because here's what it does. It adapts to the cultures so well because it's not fitted to a particular cultural expression. It transcends culture. Did you hear that? Isn't that really cool? That the gospel of Jesus Christ can morph around the world in a way that other religions can't. Why does it do that? Why does it transcend culture? Because Jesus is the great unifier of humanity. I want you to think about something for a minute. If you think about church, and you think, I want you to turn to the right and left for a minute. Look at everybody around you. There's not a way there in the entire world that this kind of people would get together on a Sunday knowing how diverse they are. Okay? There's families here. There's, <clears throat> there's people who are young and old here. Okay? There's tradesmen here. There's school teachers here. There's guys that like Star Trek here. 
there's guys that make fun of guys like Star Trek. You know, okay? The point is, is that there's a whole diverse group, and the only reason that we're together is what? Jesus. Listen, friends, if you want a unified church, and this is so important to understand because this is going to become a huge theme throughout the book of Ephesians, is that unity is, is a huge part of, of the book of Ephesians. It's talked about right here. It's talked about in the latter half of chapter 1. It's talked about in chapter 2, 3, and I would they make the argument chapter 4. And it's all, here's what I need to understand. If you want people to be unified, you don't focus on unity. You know what you focus on? You focus on Jesus. Okay? So if we're going to have an issue and fight about COVID, or we're going to have an issue and fight about Republican or Democrat, or who likes, whether pickles should be on a cheeseburger or not, whatever divides us, here's what we don't do. We don't focus on unity for the sake of unity. We focus on Jesus. Jesus is the great unifier of humanity. He brings everything together. And here's why that's so important. We live in an era where I believe that our division is so deep-rooted, I don't think we're turning back from it. Okay? I was watching this video on YouTube the other day, and this guy goes up and he just kind of asks random people. I don't know, I don't know where he found these people. Say, hey, do you have any Republican friends? And for five minutes, the answer was no, 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 no. And so he did it the other way too. And I was just like, oh man, the people are so entrenched in their opinions that they can't get along politically with someone else. That's weird, right? Because if you think about what America was, it was never, the thing about it was this idea of freedom and free thought. And now we get to the point where we can't even socialize and hang out with other people. Or if you think about the idea about tribalism or group identity, the idea that here's, I'm going to find my identity and my worth and my opinions based upon the people that think like me. Do you know what happens when that happens? You get tribalism. So here's what you think. If you are a person who is a minority, you are oppressed and you must think this way. And if you're white, you're privileged. And we are seeing the division, aren't we? Am I not right? Okay. There is a level of division and hatred going on right now that I believe is almost irreversible unless we come together and find ground in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great unifier. He's the great unifier of cultural divisions. That you can be a, you can be a blue collar or white collar and you can sit down here and worship the same Lord. You can be male or female and you can sit down here and worship the God. That you can be rich or poor and you can all come on. We are all one in Christ. And Paul is going to unpack this in a huge way when he talks about the dividing wall of hostility being brought down between Jews and Gentiles. So here's what I want to say. When we say that the great mystery is that everything gets united in Jesus Christ, the blessing is, is that all cultural divisions come down. The second thing I want you to understand is that Paul is writing this to give us a bunch of hope and encouragement. Okay. <clears throat> when I said I wasn't kidding, uh, when I said I'm trying to build the, bring out the Pentecostal in you, I was kind of half joking. I, I wasn't kidding. I, I really want you to come out of here feeling encouraged and your spirits lifting. Because here's what Paul's saying. I know 
It looks like the powers of darkness are winning. When he's writing this, he's in jail. He's chained to someone. Life is not good for him. He's got nothing. He's lost everything. And yet there's this joy in him. And it's like he's saying, guys, listen, I know it looks like the powers are winning. I know that, I know that the cancer, it's killing you. I know that that divorce you're going through is weighing you down. And you're terrified watching your own kids go through it. I know that the debt you're facing is destroy you. But here's what I want you to know. In the end, Jesus wins. Because everything comes under him. And you kind of got to let this work backward to get you up in the morning. What he's saying is he's taking all the things in your life, all the things in my life and your night, and he's uniting in him the massive global uh, meaning is that Jesus is going is driving through everything, the blessings and the curses, the meaningless suffering and the not. So here's what I would say. You remember Les? Remember how Les spent the last few years sick? And one of the biggest questions that people were asking was this: What, Ken? What did you ask about that? Why would God? Why would God let that happen? Because it seems meaningless, doesn't it? Doesn't it, Ken? And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm bringing all that, and Jesus is going to unite it all. All the good things, all the bad things. I want you to let you know that in the end, Jesus wins, and because you have decided to go team Jesus, vicariously you win. Isn't that good? No one... Am I, am I making sense? Okay. Friends, Jesus holds everything together. And everything is united. You are blessed with a great mystery. Amen? Amen. Let's uh, close with one more song.